Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 to 15. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. May God bless the reading of his word. Thanks very much, Mark. Let's pray, shall we, before we look at God's word together. Father in heaven, we're very aware that there's a huge gap between the people that we long to be, the people that you are changing us into, and the people that we are right now. And Father, we're ever so aware of this reality when it comes to mission. Lord, our longing to see lost people know Christ, to see your kingdom advance, to be those people who are willing and ready to speak of our Saviour to this world. Yet, Lord, we know there's a gap between those people we long to be and the people that we are. And so, Lord, as we come to your word now, we pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just listen to these instructions of the Lord Jesus and learn things about mission. We pray, Lord, that you'd be at work in our hearts, that we would become more missional as your church and your people. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. On January the 9th, 1956, Jim Elliott and four of his missionary friends set out and indeed set up 
camp deep in the Ecuadorian rainforest. And they were there with the sole intention of bringing the gospel, bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to this unreached people group. Now, just a few months before Jim and his friend set off, uh, Jim was offered a pastoral post at a church back in America, which he famously turned down with these words, why should some hear twice when others have never heard once? And it was that desire for all people everywhere to hear the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ that persuaded these five men to do what they did. Many of you will be familiar with what happens next, how the story unfolds just a couple of days after they went out there. The five bodies of these brave missionaries were found having been brutally murdered by those they sought to share the gospel with. Now it's easy to to read a story like that if you read the, the biography of his life. It's easy to hear that story relayed and think, what a waste. Five good gospel men. So much to give for the sake of Jesus. So much they could have done, yet their lives were ended so short out there in the Ecuadorian rainforest. What a waste. But of course it was anything but a waste. Because it was the deaths of these five men that became the catalyst for thousands of people to go to the unreached corners of this globe. One of them being Jim's own wife, Elizabeth, who had the incredibly painful privilege of returning to exactly the same spot where her husband was killed. And by the grace of God, leading some of those responsible to Christ. You see, when it comes to mission, there will always be a cost. Always. Whether it's taking the gospel to the unreached parts of this globe or whether it's persevering in seeking to share the good news of Jesus with a family member who just doesn't want to know and they shut the door in your face again and again. There will always be a cost when it comes to mission. But at the same time, there is no greater privilege in life than joining the Lord Jesus in his mission to the world. Do you remember back in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus calls those first disciples to himself? He calls them to a life of mission. Matthew chapter 4 verse 18, we read this. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. From the moment they started following Jesus, they became missionaries. From the moment you trust in Jesus Christ, you are a missionary. Because a missionary is someone who is committed to the mission of Jesus. And it is your great job and joy in life to throw out the gospel net. To cast it far and wide. To speak of our saviour. To live lives that bring glory to the one who made us. And to see who Jesus brings in. To his kingdom forever. A missionary is someone who's committed to the mission of Jesus Christ. Which in Matthew chapter 4 is described as fishing. And then in Matthew chapter 9, the chapter that precedes our reading this evening. The metaphor is that of farming. Fishing and farming. You'll be familiar probably with these words, the Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 9 verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, 
but the workers are few. The metaphor changes from fishing to farming, but the principle is the same. The harvest is plentiful, says Jesus. Opportunity knocks. The fields are white for harvest. But do you see the problem there? In Matthew 9 verse 37, the workers are few. Notice Jesus doesn't say that there are few Christians. He says there are a few workers. There's not enough people who are willing to roll at their sleeves and by the grace of God to sweat and to toil for the sake of Christ in the harvest field of this world. And the response of the Lord Jesus to this situation, to, to what he sees before him is twofold. Firstly, he calls his disciples to pray. What has become known by many is the second Lord's prayer in Matthew 9 verse 38. Ask the Lord of the harvest therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. Step one, go to the Lord in prayer. Go to the Lord of the harvest and ask him to raise up workers for his harvest field. Mission begins on our knees before the Lord of the harvest. Jesus firstly calls him to pray and then secondly He calls them to go. And that's where we pick up the story this evening in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus calls the 12. We've heard it read. He calls them to himself. He invests his authority in them. And then he sends them out to follow in his footsteps and to be his workers in his harvest field. And over the course of these next four weeks, we'll see that Jesus sends them out with clear instructions of what to do and where to go. Clear instructions of mission clear expectations of what to expect, what mission entails, clear encouragements to continue, however hard things may get, and a clear call to allegiance, loyalty to the Lord Jesus, whatever the personal cost to self. But before we look at these uh, instructions themselves, which is going to be our focus um, this evening, there's an important question we must ask, which is this. Are these instructions written for us are the instructions that jesus gives his disciples in matthew chapter 10 written for us and the answer to that question is both yes and no have a look down at verse 5 if you would these 12 jesus speaking to his 12 these 12 jesus sent out with the following instructions jesus is addressing the 12 disciples and then we get their names they're listed for us in verse 2 to 4. So what we have written in these verses, we need to understand this. This is firstly for the 12. Jesus is addressing them directly. It's like when you get a letter, uh, land on your doormat that's not addressed to you. We get letters all the time from Mrs. Gosling, who obviously lived at Coleman Avenue some, uh, some years ago. And when those letters land on our doormat, here's the thing, they're not addressed to us firstly. And it's the same in Matthew chapter 10. What you have on your lap before us, when you look at Matthew chapter 10, isn't addressed firstly to you. It is addressed firstly to the 12 apostles. Yet, at the same time, there are principles embedded in these verses that are relevant for every generation. And it is our job to discern what those things are and how we apply them to our life and to our mission today. Have a look again at verse 5 and 6. You see how this is played out here. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. 
Now, if you were to carry out that instruction to the letter, you wouldn't speak to a single neighbor about Jesus. You wouldn't speak to a family member about Jesus. You wouldn't speak to a colleague at work about Jesus, assuming that the majority of your family and friends are Gentiles. You see what Jesus says, do not go among the Gentiles. But of course, we need to remember that Jesus is firstly addressing the 12 apostles at this particular point in God's salvation story. This mission was restricted to the Jews. But by the time we get to the end of Matthew's gospel, that mission has been blown open, broadened to include all nations. Therefore, we know these words, go and make disciples of all nations, of all people groups. What began in Galilee continues in Long Crendon. Jesus sends people to reach people. Can you see that? It's Jesus' strategy. And it's ever so simple. He doesn't send angels. He sends people to reach people. The target may have broadened, but we take the principle here of Jesus sending people to reach people. A mission that's now been broadened to all nations. We are called to go because we've been sent by the Lord of the harvest. And that brings us to our first point of three this evening. We've been sent by Jesus. Have a look at verse one and verse five. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. Verse five, these 12 Jesus sent out. Jesus calls And then he sends, just as he did in Matthew chapter 4. He calls his disciples to himself and he readies them to go fishing. And the word sent that you see there in verse 5, it's a strong word. It literally means to, to throw out or to thrust out. Jesus basically boots his disciples out into the harvest field. Now, of course, it's not that Jesus doesn't care. He's invested two years of his life in these people. And as we read on in Matthew's gospel, he cared enough to lay down his life for them at the cross. But the point is, there is a time to go, says Jesus. And that time is now. In Matthew chapter 10, time was running out for the Jewish nation. In our day, time is running out for all nations. The grains of sand are trickling through the time glass. And one day, the last grain of sand will drop One day the Lord Jesus will return and with his sickle he will swing it across this world in judgment and the harvest will come. The question is when that day arrives, when that last grain of sand falls through the time glass, will people be at peace with their maker? Will they be gathered into the barn of heaven to be with their saviour? Forever. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. You can see the same sense of urgency in the message that we're called to share. Look in verse 7. As you go proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And because the kingdom of heaven is near, the time to repent is now. Richard Baxter, minister in Kidderminster in the 17th century, reminded himself of this every time he preached, I speak as never to speak again, as a dying man to dying men. Every time he preached, he preached like it would be his last opportunity to hold out life to his people. And he preached like it might be the last time they got to hear the sweet news of Jesus Christ. 
And so it is for us. We want to preach publicly from the pulpits. But tomorrow may be the last chance we get to hold out life to a broken and needy world. Tomorrow might be the last chance that someone has the opportunity to hear the sweet news of their saviour. We've been sent by Jesus and we've been sent with his authority. Have a look again at verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and illness. And again in verse 8, heal those who are ill, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons freely you've received, freely give. Well, now is probably not the time for a a full discussion on the uniqueness of the apostles' ministry. But I think we can say with confidence that there are things that are clearly unique to the apostolic age. We have not been given authority to raise the dead. But we have been given authority to preach the good news of the kingdom. And that is the repeated focus again and again throughout the New Testament. We've been sent in order that we might speak. We're not sent to raise the dead, but we're sent to speak of the one who can raise the dead. And on the day that he returns, he will raise to everlasting life all those who have trusted in him. Firstly, we have been sent, sent by Jesus Christ. Secondly, we are dependent on Jesus Christ. Have a look at verse 9 and verse 10. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Jesus says pretty much the opposite to any good boy scout. Their motto, dib dib, be prepared. Jesus motto, so it seems, is to be unprepared. But as you look more closely at those words, you'll see it's not about how prepared we are. It's about how dependent we are. Jesus says to them, take nothing with you, no money, no bag, no extra clothes, just you. Don't need anything else, just you. Just go as you are. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want his disciples to depend on all these extra things. He wants them to depend upon him, to trust in him and his resources and not their own. You see, what we have here isn't a lifetime ban on luggage. This is a call to trust in God and his provision for mission. The worker is worth his keep. And that's a reference not to people in paid gospel work. It is a reference to all those who are following the Lord Jesus, all those who are laboring for the Lord in the harvest field of this world. As Hudson Taylor said, So eloquently, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. And I take it that goes for us as individuals and as a church. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. We can trust fully in God's provision for us. So what does that look like then in practice? Because we're not the the itinerant ministers that we see here in the New Testament going from, from town to town or like Hudson Taylor breaching new frontiers. What does it look like for me and you? Maybe established, maybe you spend most of your life in the same town or the same village and we don't move around that much. What does it look like to apply those principles to our life today? 
There's three questions that I'd like to ask us as we try and do that. And the first one is this. Are we too reliant on material possessions? You see, worldly wealth isn't a bad thing necessarily, but it does have a very powerful potential to draw people away from relying fully on the Lord. Earlier in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gave us this warning. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The way that we relate to our material possessions will impact our witness to the world. The way we relate to what God has given us will impact our witness to the world. As one commentator says, a church whose members are preoccupied with material concerns still finds it hard to convince the world that it should take Jesus seriously. Wonder whether all that the Lord has given us, our material possessions, are they a help or are they a hindrance when it comes to mission? Secondly, are we living with a missionary mindset? See, if you could get inside the head of Jim Elliott or or Hudson Taylor, you'd soon realize that every decision that they made was shaped by their heart for mission. wonder whether that's the case for us. As you think about the daily decisions and the big decisions that you make in life, are they shaped by your heart to see lost people know Christ? Which house to buy? Which job to accept? What holidays to go on? How we spend our leisure time? How we use our savings? Are these big decisions and are the small decisions that we make in life shaped by the reality that this world needs Christ? When we pray about these decisions, as I hope we do, do we pray with an eye on the lost world and think, how will the decision I make impact the movement of the gospel out that people might know Christ? You see, you might not be called to go to the Ecuadorian rainforest or to breach new frontiers across China, but we can still live and we can still pray with a missional mindset. Every moment, every decision has an impact for the advance of the gospel in this world. And then thirdly, do we really trust in God's provision? I underline really in my notes. Do we really trust in God's provision? Because we verbalize it, but do we really? It's an important question, I think, for us to ask as a church, particularly as we consider the next phase of of church life, as we plan for the future, as we plan for growth. Will we move forward banking on our plans or on God's provision? Now, of course, we need to plan. We need to pray hard. It'd be reckless if we didn't do those things. But at the same time, if we feel the Lord is calling us to do something, then let's do it. Let's not wait to dot every I and cross every T and have a perfect backup scenario plan to everything that might happen. If we feel the Lord is calling us to do something, we must do it. And if the Lord is in it, he'll provide. Because God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Firstly, we've been sent by Jesus. Secondly, we are dependent on Jesus And thirdly, how we need the wisdom of Jesus. Have a look at verse 11 onwards. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. 
As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. It's easy to think of the worthy person there in verse 11 as some upstanding person in your community, but that's not the sort of worthy person that Jesus has in mind. A worthy person is one who welcomes a messenger of the gospel, who opens up the door to someone who is going to speak about Christ. You can see the flip side of that. Look in verse 14. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that town, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. It's a powerful sign, isn't it? Shaking the dust off your feet. It's what pious Jews did every time they left Gentile territory before moving on. They kicked the dirt off their feet as as a sign of rejection before moving on to other things. Do you see the point Jesus is making? If people reject you as my messenger, Jesus says to his disciples, then shake the dust off your feet and move on. Because there's plenty of other people out there who will want to know. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So keep on the move for Jesus. Now, of course, we've seen already their context is very different, is it not, to ours. They were on the move all the time, door to door, town to town, itinerant ministers. We're not. But the principle in here, I think, is the same. Look for the people of peace. Look for people who are warm to the gospel. Look for those who are interested in spiritual things. Look for those who are happy to have a conversation about life and about faith. Don't keep hitting your head against a brick wall when people don't want to know. Time is far too precious for that, Jesus says. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. Now, of course, this is where we need incredible wisdom, is it not, from God? As limited people with limited time, where do we go? Who do we spend our time with? So many people from all your life, old friends from school and uni, neighbours and and work colleagues, so many people. I've been witnessing to my mum and dad now for nearly 20 years without any obvious signs of lasting fruit in their life. Do you know what? I'm never going to shake the dirt off my feet with my mum and dad. doesn't mean I'm going to turn my back on them and walk away. I'm going to keep praying for them. I'm going to take every opportunity the Lord gives me. But I've still got to ask myself the question, who are those people, Wellesley, in your life right now who are warm to the gospel? God's put them there for a reason in your life. Who are they? And spend some time there talking to them about Jesus. And as God warms the hearts of different people at different times, so spend time there. God willing, my mum and dad's heart will be warmed soon. And I'll spend more and more time there. The minute it's not. And I've got to work out how to use my time. You've got to work out how to use your time. It's precious. And we're limited people. We've got limited time. And we need incredible grace and wisdom from God. To know how to spend that time. Because, verse 15, the day of judgment is coming. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. You see, people in the end aren't kept out of heaven because of their sin. Does that sound strange to your ears? In the end, people aren't kept out of heaven because of their sin. They're kept out of heaven because they fail to welcome Jesus as their saviour. They shut the door 
on the message, on the messenger maybe. And they reject the one of whom it speaks. Truly I tell you, says Jesus, it will be more bearable. If you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, these are hard words to read. More bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for them. As we draw to a close, a final word to you if you're in the same position I am. As you look at your life and at times feel a bit of a failure in mission. I do every day. Look at opportunities missed. I look at days wasted. I look at time misspent. I think about all those moments when there was an opening and I look back a couple of hours later and think I've just missed a a glorious opening. And we can look back all the time at these things. But can I encourage you this evening? I'm sure you feel a little bit like me in that respect. Please don't be motivated by guilt. It's not the aim of this evening. Be motivated by gratitude. For all that God has done for you in Christ. Because Jesus did not save you because you were good at mission. He didn't go to the cross to die for you because he thought you'd be amazing to have on my team. He died for you because he loves you. And he loves me with all my failings in all of life, including my failings in mission. He saved me because he loves me. And he loves you. And he wants that incredible love to liberate us for mission and for life. That out of gratitude that will build up in our hearts, it would overflow into all of life. And with all of our weaknesses, with all of our missed opportunities, as we come back to the cross of Christ, he will send us out again to speak of our Savior. That those around us in life, those whom the Lord is warming to the gospel, he might choose that moment to bring them in. As the net is cast out and he brings them to be in his kingdom forever. And as we come to the Lord's table a little bit later in the service, it's an opportunity to do just that. To fill our hearts with gratitude as we remember all that God has done for us again in Christ. And to remember what mission is all about. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about making the glories of Jesus Christ known in this world as God so enables us in our hearts.